Hurry in during Ram Truck Month and discover what it truly means to drive a truck that's built to serve. Ram Truck Month, going on now. And now, current FCA vehicle owners finance and get $8,480 in total values on the 2023 Ram 1500 Bighorn Crew Cab. Don't miss this great offer. See your local Ram dealer today. Total values include combined cash allowance and 2,980 Bighorn Level 2 package value. Financing for well-qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital. Not all buyers will qualify. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 5123. Welcome to Women Winning Divorce. I am your host, Heather Quick. I am an attorney, entrepreneur, author, and founder of Florida Women's Law Group, the only divorce firm for women by women. I love thinking big, thinking outside the box, creating creative solutions for women and empowering women to win in all aspects of their life. Our approach at Florida Women's Law Group is to provide women with a strategy to not only achieve their objectives, but win at life. I believe that what may show up as adversity is simply an opportunity to change and improve your life. In each episode, I sit down with innovative professionals and leaders who are focused on how you can be your best self before, during, and after divorce. In these conversations, we are looking at how women can win at life. I have the unique opportunity to meet women when they are at a transition period of life. But that is only the beginning to becoming your best self and winning at life on your terms. With our guests, we enjoy the opportunity to explore ways all women can win and enhance their life, no matter where they are in their journey. Because divorce is just a point in life, not the end and not what defines you, rather a catalyst for your growth. Welcome to this week's episode of Women Winning Divorce. I'm Heather Quick, owner an attorney of Florida Women's Law Group. Today, I'm being joined by Vanda Nadeau. She's an attorney and owner of Nadeau Family Law. And she has worked in many different legal areas like civil defense and criminal defense, but ultimately is passionate about family law. And of course, we had the great pleasure of working with Vanda at Florida Women's Law Group many years ago. All right, Vanda, so today we're talking about mediation. So tell our listeners a little bit about why you love mediation so much that you became a mediator. Well, mediation is a type of confidential alternative dispute resolution that allows parties with the help of a mediator to resolve their family law disputes without having a judge decide it for them. In mediation, parties can get creative when coming up with marital settlement agreements that a lot of times won't happen if they go before a judge. And, um, you know, this week we're talking about mediation because I, you know, one thing I think, Vanda, that many, you know, at least in my experience, many people don't know is that mediation is required, right? If you're going through a divorce, you got to go, don't you? You do. In Florida, you must, in good faith, attempt a mediation before going to court. It is court ordered to attend, but parties need to understand that it's also a voluntary process. So when you attend mediation, you should never feel pressured during mediation to settle. And again, although it's court ordered, the courts encourage parties to try and resolve their marital issues at mediation, as opposed to a contentious courtroom situation, which a lot of times does happen, unfortunately. It does. And, you know, I've learned even more, more so really this year because I've had the pleasure of interviewing attorneys all over the country and not every state requires mediation in a divorce. Um, very few, actually. So it has to be everybody has to agree. And um, and that's been an interesting perspective when I've talked to lawyers in other states. So um, actually, I think Florida is a bit progressive in this area where. Um, you know, it's required in particularly, you know, divorce cases. Uh, and why do you think that the courts do that? Why, what, what do you think is the intent behind requiring mediation? I believe that you started out, the couple started out as a family. A lot of times they have children and emotions are very high. People want to fight. But the courts hear this day in and day out, and they know that the parties want to be heard. But in the same vein, the courts can only do so much and have to follow the law. And although they probably would like to be creative, they can't. And usually when parties go to trial, especially if there's children, 
they will get a standard parenting plan and it's nothing like they could do if they went to mediation and where they have control and they can fashion it to their liking. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I love what you just said about that the the judges know that the parties want to be heard. I, I don't know, I don't know if they always remember that. But <laughs> um I, I know we as attorneys do and 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 you I know I've been in situations where I send my client, you know, if I've heard this once, I've heard this a thousand times. Well, wait till the judge hears, blah, 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 blah. And it's it's hard because we are dealing with trying to say, well, that may or may not come up in, in your opportunity to share with the judge in the way you think it has going to really be that way. And then he may dismiss that or she may dismiss that because it might not be relevant to the issues, even though it's very relevant to the individual. And parties also need to understand, especially if it's a long-term marriage, you have a certain window of time and you can't get out everything you want to tell the judge. And like you said, a lot of that is not relevant. The judges, although, you know, they might want to entertain and listen to it, they just don't have the time, they're on time constraints, so they can't. And so you have to focus on what is the most important. That's why mediation is nice because a good mediator will listen to the parties. They'll let them talk. They'll let them understand that they they realize the situation they're in. They want to be empathetic, but they are getting they are getting to be heard. It's just not the judge hearing it but they do get to express themselves in mediation. And I think that's, that's so very important. And I, I'm certain, I mean, does that come, that has to come into your mediation training, right? About providing this space for the client to somewhat vent because you're the neutral person listening, right? I mean, as their attorney, I've heard it all. They know I'm on their side, but they want to express it to somebody else. Um, and right, I mean, does that come into your training? I would think it does. It does, absolutely. And you, of course, you have to explain to them and reiterate that you're a mutual third party and you're a problem solver and you are there to listen to their side, understand what they're going through, assess the situation. And a lot of times mediators, I know I do, I will let them know. I may be a devil's advocate, but I'm only trying to show you a different perspective or what may happen here as opposed to going to court. So it's. <laughs> well, and I think it's just, it is, it's, um, there's an art to it. I have found the better mediators have that, um, a higher level of emotional intelligence to be able to read the, the scene. I only get to be in one room. I'm not a mediator, but I always wish like, or not really wish like I want to sit there for two hours, but. <laughs> I, I'd rather probably let my imagination run, but you know, you gotta, there's just a lot of skill in, in effective mediators to allow to go into the room, you know, with the wife, her attorney, let her feel heard, understood, but also communicate your role. And then you gotta go to the other side and have, make sure the husband, their attorney, they feel heard, they understand the process and that how you're gonna navigate you know, between those two, um, you know, I, I do, I think it, and it's so, it's a great process. And I think it works like 95% of the time. Um, sometimes, hey, you know, sometimes not the first time, not the second time, maybe the third time's a charm. You know, we get into that, like how many times you have to mediate a case. But, um, well, tell us a little bit for our listeners to know, because you're an attorney and also a mediator. So how, how does that happen? How do you become a mediator? So for me, I, I've been through a divorce and I, I was bitter. I wanted to fight. And I think the older I got, the more I realized. And after being in trial, seeing what can happen, I just started to try to branch away from heavy litigation. And I decided to become a mediator. So what an individual has to do is they take a 40-hour class. It used to be when I trained, it was 
for a week, but I now have seen options where they will break it up into weekends because a lot of people just can't devote an entire week to mediation training. Yeah. And also after you complete your hours, then you actually mentor with a certified mediator and you observe some, and then you also actually conduct some under the supervision of the mediator. And then once you've accomplished that, then you receive a certificate from the Florida Supreme Court and you're officially certified as the mediator. And now, as of now, and when you did, you have to first be a lawyer to become a mediator in state of Florida. Is that, is that still currently correct? Like if you wanted now to be one? No, actually, no, actually any, there are mediators that come from so many different professions. I have seen, actually, when I was in training, there was, there were pastors, teachers, counselors, and I think sometimes they bring a different perspective to a mediation than just an attorney would. They just, they see things they think things differently. They've never been in court. I know sometimes attorneys who are also mediators, it's hard for them to switch that hat right. from being an attorney to a mediator. But if it's something you're passionate about and you want to really try to solve the conflict before they go to the court, then I totally would rather do this than anything else. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and that's amazing because I, I can't imagine being a mediator for any anything. And um, so, but that's the whole point, right? Because we all are called to it and, and we need people who, you know, are mediators. And I mean, you know, I'm going to be biased because I'm an attorney and I have a higher regard, of course, for the law and think that a mediator who also understands the law and who who is a lawyer to me would be better. That's just my opinion, but oh. you don't have to say that. I think that is a way, especially for a divorce. I mean, you got to know the law, understand it. And also, don't you think, have a familiarity with the the player, so to speak, as far as who are the judges that you may be in front of, you, you know, knowing the lawyers involved, kind of, it, it just is going to give you that insight that otherwise you wouldn't have. And I think that insight can help you settle a case. I agree absolutely. I if it was me, I would highly advise somebody to attend mediation with an attorney. Mediators can't give legal advice, but they can explain the statutes. They can draft a concise mediation agreement that's not going to fall apart later on. The mediators keep up with the current laws that Somebody else is not going to be able to, but if you're an attorney, you're always going to keep up with the updates and that can be detrimental to two parties if there's somebody that's mediating that isn't keeping track of the updates and that could be detrimental to somebody's case. So I, I'm with you on that. I agree. I would much rather mediate with an attorney. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it. now let's talk a little bit about the process because it is in Florida. I mean, you can go without a court order. But typically, you know, we have a court order. We're going to talk later about like collaboration and mediation. But typically, um, there is a requirement, right? You've got to put in two hours. Is it varies on the judge as far as they're going to say, hey, you got to at least give it two to four hours as a minimum before you say, I'm not going to agree. Right. A minimum then, four. Yeah. For, and yeah, and because it's just, you know, it takes some time for each side to get in there and, and begin that process. And ideally, um, you know, at the end of mediation, you have an agreement, right? Like you said, practically 95% of the time. And if a mediator is patient and persistent and keeps the parties on track and controls the situation as well. So... You know, you have to circle back around people that are emotional to get them back into the mindset of, look, we are here to resolve this. And so you can move forward with your life and not spend lots of money trying to litigate and trying to get on the court's docket. So, and a lot of times, like you had mentioned, it may take more than one session. 
and it every every mediation is different. So it really depends on the parties, the issues that there's children as to how long the process might take. Um, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. We're going to talk a little bit more and I think I want to talk also about, you know, what happens in a mediation in general terms, you know, when we come back, because that's what I think a lot of people don't know, you know, what are they, although, I mean, we got to admit the good TV shows are court cases, right? They're not showing <laughs> exciting mediation, right? We're looking, we're litigating and arguing and there's a jury. It's just way more exciting um, on TV and movies. So not anybody really has probably the framework for what does this look like, right? Are we all stuck in a room and have to fight it out, right? But that's not the way it is. So um, no, no, no. Things have changed a little. Um, Pre-COVID, everybody would attend mediation in person. And back in that day, parties would sometimes all get together at first so the mediator could give a statement. So and. Sometimes parties would all stay together, but that's very, very rare. Most of the time, the mediator will give their opening statement to everybody and then send them off to their own rooms. And the mediator will go back and forth. Now, almost all mediators will conduct a virtual mediation if the parties want, or they will meet them in person. But the mediator will put the attorney and their party in one room and then the other parties in the other room and basically go back and forth between their virtual rooms. And and it's a lot of people prefer that because it's more convenient. A lot of people would rather be there in person. And I think that depends on a mediator's preference too. Sometimes you can judge more body language when you're in person as opposed to in a virtual environment. Yeah, I think we can talk about that more. I, I've been surprised at the effectiveness doing virtual ones, but I do think there's Zoom fatigue where a lot of us are over it, and many times there there's not that connection that sometimes really does help because, you know, if, you know, as we know with our clients, if they feel like they've been heard, then now they can go on, you know, it's like sometimes they're stuck and I got to be heard before they can get to, now I can start making decisions. And so sometimes I think in person, there's that opportunity to feel a connection with the mediator and that, okay, I've been heard. Even though half the stuff I said, my lawyer told me not to say, like, it doesn't matter, but I needed to say it. And this person heard me. Now we can go on and, you know, work through the process. Um, but we'll get into that a little bit more. We'll talk more in depth. We're going to take a quick break. And for our listeners, please take a moment to subscribe. Um, to our podcast as well as review it if you like it so far that will help more folks find us and we are available on most major podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple, Google, and iHeartRadio. We'll be right back. Welcome back listeners. Uh, Again, I am joined today by Banda Nadeau, a family law attorney and mediator right here in Northeast Florida. And we've been talking about mediation. And why that's important is because in a divorce and a family, and, you know, I'll get into that a little bit more because it's not just your original divorce. Um, mediation is just required in Florida when you are litigating on pretty much everything, unless it's, you know, in cases with injunction. So, or an injunction case, that's not clarify that. But, uh, right, Vanda, I mean, I've pretty much the court. You can mediate any family law issue, and the lot, the majority of them, the court's going to send you there to mediate anyway. Yes, yes, but before you can, I know when you're wanting to schedule it for trial, one of the first things the judge will ask, have you attended mediation? If not, okay, I'm going to submit an order. I encourage you to attend mediation first and try to work out your issues before coming back to me. Yeah, now that's, that, that's nice because the judge says, I encourage you. No, he's ordering you, listeners. Like, right. Don't think that you can be like, well, he encouraged me, but I don't want to go. No. You'll end up in court uh, with a fine and all kinds of stuff you don't want to have happen uh, if you just think that was a suggestion. But what they are suggesting is we really want you to come to an agreement so that you don't have to come here and basically have a stranger decide the outcome of your money and your, your family. Right. Correct. Absolutely. And, you know, I, but part of that I was saying is like, so, you 
know, this is women winning divorce. We're talking about divorce and family law issues. But you can, you know, a lot of times when we've talked about it on the podcast, you go back to court. You have, you know, you want to modify an agreement. You want to change something, whether it's the money or time sharing with the children. You will have to go to mediation for that, won't you? Correct, correct. It's not just for initial divorces. It's for any type of modification as well. And so I think it's good to understand that you, you're going to have to go. And the way I've always looked at it from, you know, from the lawyer's perspective with our clients is, listen, we have got to go. And you are going to be paying me, your attorney, you're going to be paying the mediator. So let's make the most out of it. And, and, you know, we let's go in with an open mind and really try to settle this case because it will be in your best interest. Um, it will be uh, an, a long day many times, um, but it, it, it's generally, I would say, you're, if you can have input into this final agreement, that's a win for you. And, and you're done. And you have closure. You can have some closure. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, let's talk about the time frame because we said you have to stay for a minimum of four hours. So, what's your longest mediation? Day? <laughs> um, I've had one go into two in the morning. Um, it it has happened, and you know, I it's a long day, but you have to keep the. I will say it's again, it's one of the situations where it depends on the party. Some people want to stay in mediation because they're afraid that once they they may be so close that then there's a couple of issues that they're just haggling over. And sometimes everybody is afraid to leave because if they leave, although the parties aren't supposed to tell others what was discussed in mediation, they do. And everything that 12 hours may just fall apart. So a lot of times. You just have to stick in there if you think there's a possible way that this might get resolved. So, and that's when a mediator needs to be patient. Um, I know back in the day they would provide food, <laughs> snacks, <laughs> what? which you don't get in virtual mediations, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, um, yeah, they, but right, it's, it's really recognizing that sometimes you get so close. And then it's it's part of the process, just continuing to work through as long as you can. You know, I've had different cases. I've definitely, I know I did a 16 hour one once, definitely went way, way into the early morning of the next day. But sometimes we've also done two because, you know, I don't, I think it's, it's valid. And I want our listeners to hear that. Like if your attorney says, we might need more than one day and you're thinking that's a lot of time, but you know, you're, it's a lot, it's very emotional, right, Vanda? I mean, because you're talking about your life, your property, the relationship, and it can be exhausting for people and they might need to go rest, come back the next day without feeling like, hey, anybody walked away. We didn't lose any ground. We just rested and now we're here and we can maybe finish up because it's really unrealistic for us to be signing an agreement at 2 a.m. We might feel pressure. Not thinking straight. And just a situation where one party is just, I'm ready to be done. I don't care. Just give it to me. Let me sign it. And then that's where issues come up later on. So it's like or I said. the finality of when yeah. you have the document. Because ideally, at, at the end of mediation, if an agreement is reached, then uh, a document will be signed by everybody before they leave. Right. And, that, and that document is going to be binding. Uh, so that's why it's so important. And that's why, you know, I've had cases where I've had to tell my client, you know, we and the mediator, I, I can't let her sign it right now. Like, I just don't, I feel like she's got, it's just very, it's, it's now like the end of something that seems too emotional. And I think that, you know, I've got to let her go home and, and we can, you know, maybe sign it tomorrow, but it's just, she's not in a right spot. And I mean, don't you agree? I'm sure you would say that too, Ben, if you saw this. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you want to protect your client. You want to protect their rights, but you also, you want them to feel comfortable and safe and know that this closure is going to be positive and they've done the right thing. 
as opposed to just going halfway going through it, not really paying attention because they're exhausted, they're emotional, and then if they sign it and then then they regret it. Exactly. Well, and that's the biggest thing because there's not a lot you can do once you've signed it and to sign it out of frustration or exhaustion or just like, I got to get out of here um, are not the right reasons. And I think that any, uh, you know, any really good mediator, of course, would say you should, you know, um, and not pressure and, and encourage the other party to like, let this agreement stand for 24 hours. Give them that time because you don't want issues afterwards. You know, not everybody will do that. They'll say, hey, we're either doing it today or all bets are off. I mean, and as we know, that can happen to you. Yeah. It yeah. can. But I, I've been in situations in, in attorneys, they recognize that and they, they are like, yeah, okay, we'll give you 24 hours. Like, this isn't on the table for a week, but you know what? You know, let's get, if you get it done by, if you get it signed by tomorrow, then we can all, you know, have an agreement. And I think that that's not something that I did 15 years ago. That wasn't like what we did, but now um, it's just been more often that you, you recognize that and think, you know what, I don't, I don't think it's good to sign right now, even though we don't want to, we don't want to back out of this. It's been a lot of good things about the deal, but the emotions are running high and you know, the client just might not feel as though they are really doing this voluntarily. Yes. And, and it's just a situation, you know, when we're attorneys, we know our clients and we can gauge them and know, okay, I, I, I'm confident that all this client needs is some rest and time to regroup and it's not going to fall apart. And we're doing our clients a favor and advocating in their best interest to let them have a pause and a good night's sleep and then come back refreshed. And Absolutely. And sometimes it, it, you know, that those aren't always the norm, but they do happen. And, you know, I think it, it's like you said, you know, knowing, you know, your client uh, as far as that, and then the mediator recognizing that as well, that, Hey, like this was a lot for us as, as attorneys, you know, we're used to being in court and, and just like time, kind of just doesn't factor in. So it goes so fast, you don't realize the time. Um, because we have, a, uh, at least for me, and same with mediation, all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, so late. Um, you know, we need to take a break so that you can really absorb what we're doing. Because sometimes at the end, you know, we work through an agreement after hours and hours and out over many issues. And now you have to sit there and read a 25-page document um, that's a lot of lawyer language, you know, for clients. And, um, you know, it, it can be that in and of itself is overwhelming because now they're like, oh, my gosh, talked about this. I don't remember. That was at 10 a.m. And now it's 8 right. <laughs> And And I think that as mediators, just being recognizing where people are and are they really absorbing all of this as we're going through. Yes, and keep reiterating, are, do you understand? Are you comfortable with this? And have you gone through this with your attorney? And do you understand what you're doing? And, and a good mediator will say, do you need more time? And not, and not rush the clients. Now, okay, you, you mentioned in the beginning, which it's really important, uh, the neutrality, right? Because you are the neutral third party. Um, and, and how do you control that? Like, how do you maintain that uh, when you're mediating a case? I mean, has it ever been difficult or you wonder if, if one side is, you know, questioning it? I know when you first start out in an opening statement, a mediator will, one of the first things, I am a neutral third party. I am not advocating for you. I'm not advocating for your spouse. I am here to help you both come up with the best possible resolution. You're both going to have to give and take. You're, nobody is going to walk out of here a complete winner. It's, it's negotiation. But, but you have to because you have to keep reiterating the neutral, neutrality. If you're in with one party for a long time, the other party is sitting over there going, their mediator spending so much time with that, with my spouse. 
I know they're on their side. And so you, when you finish with that party, you have to go into the other side, explain, listen, I know I was there for a while. I'm going to spend the same amount of time with you. You're going to be heard as well. And just reiterate to them that, again, this is neutral, but I have to listen to everything on this side. And now I want to hear your side. And so we can try to come up with a resolution. And, you know, I would bet, well, and I, I don't know this, but I'll ask you because again, I'm not a mediator. Um, you know, when you're mediating, because it's going to be different, I would imagine if you're the mediator and the husband and wife each have an attorney versus they're in there and they're not represented. Because I would imagine, you know, because you, you would hope and, 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 you know, know that, you know, hey, their attorneys advise them of some of this. Plus, they've got somebody to talk to when you're in the other room as well versus worrying, you know, that maybe you're siding with the other side. But, like, I guess it's even harder because the, I'm sure you mediate for folks that aren't represented as well. Yes, yes. And mediators have to be extremely cautious when you have two pro se parties, meaning they're not represented by an attorney, because you can't give them legal advice. However, you explain the statutes to them. You explain what factors, elements a judge looks to when they're making decisions. And again, it's just, it's a delicate line when you're with pro se parties as opposed to attorneys. And, you know, and I tell people that, you know, that's a question. Well, we're just going to go to mediation as if like, we're just going to go to the park, you know, like, right. well, it's not like I'm just going to go. It's it's a big deal. And if you sign something, like you're gonna be bound to it. And I, you know, my thing is do you even know if it's a good deal or not? Because I tell them like the mediator, they cannot advise you on, you know, or you know, and give you legal advice. They can say, This is the law, this is your this is the deal, this is your situation, you have a choice. And so I think that there's a misconception for a lot of folks that, oh well, we're just gonna go to mediation, like and that's gonna be fine, which it's great. Mediation is an amazing, amazing process, especially in divorce, because it can really bring so much of the animosity down, right? It can eventually, you know, maybe not that day, but I think long term, a successful mediation can help alleviate the just that look back of, of negative emotions that do sometimes arise when there's a trial because the whole thing's adversarial, right? Yes. Yes. But, um, you know, I think uh, that that's just sometimes individuals don't understand. They're like, well, you're a lawyer. Like, can I do, what do you think? Do you do this? You know, should I do this? I mean, that's, that, that's where I know, I'm sure your neutrality factor and really sticking to that is challenging. Because yeah. not everybody who's not a lawyer, they don't always really understand why you yeah. can't. And it is, I mean, it is frustrating to maintain neutrality sometimes when you know one party is being unrealistic and you, but you have to just, again, just reiterate and stress the law to them and tell them, I understand what you're feeling. I understand your position. However, this is the law. And right. This, <laughs> Those conversations are never easy, regardless, but in your, in your situation of mediation, I know that it is. Um, we're going to take another short break and we'll be right back. And during that time, listeners, please take a moment to check us out on social media for women law on Instagram and Florida women's law group on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. Also, uh, check out our podcast and please leave us a review so that others find our podcast. Welcome back listeners. Uh, Banda and I are here today discussing mediation in the divorce process. And we're gonna broaden it a little bit. And if you missed the first two segments, please go back and listen because we tried to really, you know, frame out what mediation is, what it looks like in a family law divorce situation. But there's there's something else that is um, been around for a while uh, called collaborative law. And I know that Vanda specializes in collaborative divorce and has been trained. Um, and you know, it's a lot of experience in that. So I'm going to ask her to let you know, our listeners know, you know, what is collaborative law and what is that process? So in the collaborative process, each party still has an attorney 
The attorneys are collaboratively trained in addition to attending mediation training as part of their collaboration training. But in a collaborative process, it is more of a team effort. So it's not only collaborative attorneys, but other professionals involved. And rather than parties being in separate rooms and a mediator going back and forth, they try to all get together as a team to discuss the issues. There may be an instance, say for example, one of the team members can be a neutral facilitator, which is usually a social worker, a counselor, and they will assist the parties with developing a parenting plan when there's children involved. If one of the parties is highly emotional, as opposed to paying their attorney to be their counselor, they can pay this neutral facilitator a lot less to get out these emotions, go through the process without, you know, let, the, let the attorney focus on the legal aspects. The neutral facilitator will focus on the parenting plan, the emotional aspects. If there are a lot of assets, businesses, a lot of times there's a financial neutral who is also part of the team who will prepare the financial affidavits, analyze the both parties' financial situation, and then suggest alternatives for how to distribute their assets and liabilities. But after it's confidential and sometimes it saves money it just depends on the issues it depends on if there's children involved but it's just another alternative way as opposed to mediation where you're not deciding everything in one day you're taking it step by step and doing different scheduling different meetings and it just depends on the parties how quick do you want to get through this process? How many issues do you have? So I think that there, there's going to be, a, there is a level of um, acceptance, I think, that the divorce is happening. And that I trust you enough that with these professionals, we're going to work through this because, and that's me. Speaking from the, you know, from my perspective, because many times uh, I feel I I've seen what can increase the the adversarial nature of a divorce is the lack of trust in the documents, in anything that they see or issue anything, you know, the husband says, and and hey, rightfully so that that's been broken. I, I think that that would be just a a bigger leap in a collaborative process if there was already such a distrust of your spouse. Because even though they're professionals there, like they're going to verify stuff, right? The collaborative process, it's not like you have to wholeheartedly just rely on your spouse because there's a lot of professionals involved that are going to verify the information, right? But you, have to be, but you have to be committed. Just And you touched on a very good point. Number one, they both have to be committed to the process. Number two, they both have to have trust. They both, when a parties enter into a collaborative agreement, they commit to being forthcoming, being transparent. And if one spouse thinks the other spouse is hiding assets, it's it's going to be a problem. And you know, even though they they will commit and say, all right, if there is something that one spouse knows the other spouse has, but the other spouse isn't um, providing it, then the neutral financial can subpoena the records. But if you're having to go that far, then the trust is right. lacking. So it, it's it's hard to draw everybody back in when one, one party is not fully committed and wants to be transparent. So it's not it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's a great process, but it's well, I think it just right. It's not for everybody, but it is for and, you know, I think it's, you know, it can, it's taken off maybe more popular in different areas of the country, even different areas of the state. But I find like and I, I think, you know, the anyone who hears this like says, oh, wow, there's going to be attorneys, a financial person and a, a counselor you know, for the mental health stuff for the kids, like, wow, doesn't that sound 
like the right way to go through a divorce. Um, but as we know, our client, many clients may believe that, but think we just aren't going to be able to do that together. But I think also what to me is the, the biggest selling point, other than like just a nicer, happier way to go through the process is the privacy, right? Like, I mean, you know, if you really have feel like, hey, if you are a celebrity or if you are, you know, more of a public figure, this process can give you privacy that the regular divorce process cannot, correct? Right. And Absolutely. that to me is the buy-in that, I mean, both people have to want it, right? But recognizing, yeah. hey, if this person has a public image or something that this kind of knowledge might hurt and affect financially, okay, that does affect both parties. We have at least that common interest to make this work so that this stays private. Yeah, yes. And one more thing about the collaborative process that parties need to understand is parties can enter into the collaborative agreement right off the top. Parties can file a petition, have the other party serve, but then they can decide, okay, we're going to tell the judge we would like a motion to stay and we're going to enter into the collaborative process but the parties also, they need to understand that once they enter into the process, they need to stay committed because if one party decides to drop out of the process, the collaborative attorneys have to disengage. Then they have to start the whole process over. But that's another reason why you have to be fully committed because you don't want to have to go through this twice. Right. And I guess, you know, and that goes into there just ha there has to be a level of trust in the it, it i do think it starts with your spouse because it's like all right you know he's he or she is not doing this to um for some underhanded reason and then you know that is because ideally this collaborative is an open process both attorneys have had open conversations not only with their client but with the other client right so that's why that says if somebody drops out now all these people who are working together they they can't work on this anymore because it was done in a very open collaborative way right where we are all right. getting together and now you have this attorney client privilege like you have to start over because otherwise there's all these privileges and you have a certain right to keep things some things private correct well, and, you know, and I can see, I guess that's why in order to be, um, you know, a collaborative attorney, you have to become certified as a mediator to really understand that type of process, mediating and coming to an agreement and working through the compromise. Yes, and you have to be committed to the process, just like you're going to advocate for your client, but at the same time, as opposed to the attorneys trying to pit the parties against each other, they're both working together to find a solution that's going to benefit the parties going forward. And again, especially if there's children involved, it, it's just so beneficial to have that neutral facilitator to guide them through a parenting plan. And again, if there's high emotions involved to work with them through that. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think that, you know, more and more that I you know, interview various people and whether it's attorneys or those in the mental health field that, you know, in regards to the parenting plan, I think it would be helpful just in even regular divorces that, you know, bringing in somebody from that mental health side to work with the parties on a parenting plan because, you know, they have children together and they may not like each other anymore, but they got to work on the parenting plan. And, you know, I think, I mean, I'm not saying we do a bad job as attorneys working through, but, you know, we, we have that training by default and experience, right. <laughs> not, not by a degree. And I, I mean, as, as long as I've been doing this, at the end of the day, I always tell my clients, I am, I'm thinking of how to help you and, and get an advantage legally. Like, or legally, how this all comes into play, because that's the way I'm wired. That's our job versus 
just like you said earlier on, you know, somebody with that mental health background, they just have a different perspective to offer you. And, and that can be very helpful to see something from that perspective, particularly as it relates to parenting your children. Yes, and everybody, everybody's family is different. So not, there's not one size fits all parenting plan. And parties just need to understand that it, there's this fourth judicial circuit guidelines right now. Of course, things may be changing. We don't know yet, but um, it, it, judges typically, I've just seen it over and over again. It, even though you can explain the, the situations of the parties, sometimes it just comes out, okay, it's a 60-40, here it is, and then the parties are stuck with it. Um, where if they have a neutral facilitator, or even like, in, again, in mediation, they have somebody to listen, to understand their time constraints, their schedules, what's best for the children. And especially, as you know, in family law, it's always the best interest of the child, so. Well, and you know, you, Amanda, you, I loved it when you said that, and then you did come around to the guidelines, because you're like, there's not one size fits all parenting plan, but however, there is. Um, if you go to the judge, there is, right? And that's what you get. And, um, you know, it used to be back when I started practicing family law every other weekend, a dinner night, right? And now it's every other weekend, Thursday to Sunday, and one overnight during the week. So, listeners, you're getting the one-size-fits-all parenting plan if you're just going to end up in front of a judge versus having the opportunity to really you know, customize because your family's different. And for what whatever needs, reasons, you 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 should take that time to have a plan that works for your family. Because, you know, not every, and in the one size fits all, you know, it doesn't take into account family traditions, different holidays, other than your traditional school schedule and things that could really matter to you. And if they're not in that parenting plan, oh, you're gonna be back in court and back in court and back in mediation. And wonder this second time, why didn't we do it this way the first time? I could go on and on about that. And, and, and Amanda heard me say that before because she knows uh, why. And uh, usually it comes down to not being advised properly and not having uh, you know an advocate who, one, doing it yourself, get done right or get done quick. I mean. Um, or not being, not having an advocate who, who really understands your goals and then you're just stuck with this thing and there it is. Or it could be due to your inability to compromise on anything and then you ended up in front of a judge and you got a one size fits all and you didn't really see how that long-term impact would be, which, you know, is kind of, you know, we've seen it before because they come to us with it and we're like, yeah, that's, that's rough. It's going to be really hard to change. Yes, yes. You, know? you only want to go through this once. <laughs> indeed, indeed, right. Um, well, Vanda, this has been such a pleasure discussing mediation with you. I really appreciate your time today, and I know our listeners have enjoyed it as well. Well, again, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure seeing you, and thank you. Well, I've got one more question, though. Sure. This is a question I ask all of my guests. So before we go, can you impart? On our listeners, what you've learned about divorce and family law, um, you know, throughout the years in your career, that would be a benefit to the women listening to our Absolutely. Uh, so I've been divorced myself, and I've been on the opposite side of the desk. I know what these women feel, every emotion, every bitterness, the fear, everything that goes along with it. I think that's why... I've always been drawn to family law. That was my favorite class in law school. And after going through what I went through with my attorney, I just wanted to make it a better process. And I wanted to, I didn't, I would never want my clients to wait weeks without a phone call or an email from their attorney. And so I would always try to respond to everybody every day if I could. Um, I know, like I said earlier, I was bitter when I got my divorce and wanted to fight. But now, as I've gotten older, I see, I see the importance of taking a step back and realizing this 
life will go on, things will get better, and don't try, try to put your emotions aside, stay strong, get through this so you can move on and have a better life. And I don't know how many clients I have had that have reached back out to me that are happy, they've moved on, when I know, and you know too, they've sat across from our desk and thought their life was over, but it's not. It's not. It's just really just a new beginning, a new chapter. It is. It is. It, well, thank you so much again. We have reached the end of our show, and uh, we're so thankful to Vanda as our guest this week. You can find more out about Vanda at www.nadofamilylaw.com. Uh, look in the show notes for the link to her website as well. And if you or someone you know is going through a divorce or thinking about a divorce, of course, reach out to us at Florida Women's Law Group or join our Facebook group, Women Winning Divorce. The link for both resources will be in the episode description. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Women Winning Divorce. My goal is to elevate your life and the way you are thinking so that you are best equipped to win at life. If you enjoy the show, Please subscribe so you automatically get my new shows every week. And I would love to hear from you personally. Come join the conversation on social and join our Facebook group, Women Winning Divorce. We welcome your comments and suggestions. We want to bring you content that helps move your life forward. Women Winning Divorce is the place for an elevated conversation on how women can thrive during times of adversity in order to live their best life. Hurry in during Ram Truck Month and discover what it truly means to drive a truck that's built to serve. Ram Truck Month, going on now. And now, current FCA vehicle owners finance and get $8,480 in total values on the 2023 Ram 1500 Bighorn Crew Cab. Don't miss this great offer. See your local Ram dealer today. Total values include combined cash allowance and 2,980 Bighorn Level 2 package value. Financing for well-qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital. Not all buyers will qualify. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 5 123